Well, um, usually in, in things called real life, guys, there doesn't need to be like a, a plot thread all the time. People are just terrible people. I don't understand. <laughs> right. Yeah, can you explain this to me in the context of 80s Martin Scorsese movies? Gastrointestinal issues and an S for their middle initial, who both had movie themed bar mitzvahs. Yeah. One podcast. Yeah. Welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast, season four, episode one, baby. Season four. Dan. Yes. Can you believe that we've been doing this for so long? And by that I mean like we've been doing it for a year. <laughs> we just shoved all the episodes into one. <laughs> we've been doing it for three years. Three years, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. What do you think about our humble beginnings of being in a different part of my house, closer I, together? I think we've significantly upgraded. Yes. Each season has been an improvement with the setup and feels a little bit more legit as mm-hmm. we slowly watch the listeners increase. <laughs> Slash dwindle. It's like, it's, sometimes it's like, um, uh, you have your good days and your bad There's days. There's no rhyme or reason to y'all. No. Like... We'll release an episode and like we'll can it and we'll be like, this is fire. This People is fire. are gonna go fucking crazy. Eight listens. And, yeah, eight <laughs> listens. Then we'll drop another episode that like is like give or take like you could do or do without and then nothing happens and then like three weeks later on a Thursday it'll just fucking the listens will skyrocket I don't know what's happening yeah. there I don't know if there's like one dude in India sometimes who's fucking yeah. just like passing it around his mm-hmm. village mm-hmm. with all his peeps. You must hear these hilarious Jew boys. <laughs> um, or they're just like all listening as research to try to figure yeah. out where the. Well, I think at one point I said um, somewhere in Afghanistan in a cave, someone's listening to the Movie Blues podcast, and I'm still hoping that's the case. Yeah, and SEAL Team 6 is about to fucking <laughs> put it into that real quick. About to be put down like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> After they heard the Book of Henry episode, they're like, we can't have this propaganda <laughs> spreading throughout the Middle East. <laughs> God forbid. Um, So, uh, welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. Um, This podcast is not based on the Gospels, but of a fictional exploration of these topics. Um, In terms of today, we're probably going to lose a couple, gain a couple. Know what I mean? (laughs) In terms of listeners and pounds. Um, Yeah. um, Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. Um, I recently did something ritualistic. I didn't eat any matzah. My mom sent me the typical box in the mail that she sends me every year that she assumes that I replace all of my bread products with. Right. Um, Said box was thrown straight in the garbage. Um, I despise matzah. 
Always Rachel have. does too. I like matzo. I like it with horseradish. I uh, sometimes peanut butter. See, so matzo to me purely exists as a vessel for horseradish. Mm. At mm. which point <laughs> I could just eat anything with yeah. horseradish. Okay, I mean that's fair. My uh, I went to my buddy Sam's house for a little pseudo Passover dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife is a shik, so the mm. no, so, it's perfect. Yeah, and um, like they just had a kid, and she's like you know, anti-religion everything and ritual and everything, but we wanted to just have a good dinner. Mm -hmm. So he made these, like, matzah caramel chocolate fucking platter cake things. Mm -hmm. Like, he made, like, a a cake, basically, with the matzah as the base and then crumpled it all up, so it was just a bag of fucking delicious non-kosher matzo treats. That's cool. Yeah, it was fire. Um, I did nothing for um, Passover. I did nothing for Easter other than ask my coworkers. Well, that's what because is... Easter's tomorrow. Well, the thing about it is that, like, as a Jew, I'm sure um, you know that throughout our lives, Gentiles constantly approach us and they're like, hey, man, like, what's this crazy Hanukkah thing you guys are doing? Tell me about it. This time around, I decided to turn the tables on on this equation. And I I went into work um, and went up to all of my Gentile coworkers and was like, so, man, like, what's the meaning of this Easter thing? Like, what's the bunny all about? Um, They had no answers. Not a single one of them knew anything about Easter. Um, I got nothing from that conversation. Um, Meanwhile, at the same time, I'm slowly watching The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, So I have a lot of questions about Jesus, just in general. This episode's about. Um, In doing so, like, ask them about Jesus, and they don't know anything about him. So really, on this podcast today, we could just say whatever we want. And even the Christian listeners are pretty much going to, you know, well... We're going to lose a couple games. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we should put a call into our resident Jesus expert. I think he would appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah uh, we don't know much about Jesus. I'm going to say that up front. I don't fucking give any credence to reboots. Sure. <laughs> this is like Jesus resurrect. Yeah, um, I mean, this is like already a reboot of what is essentially Bible fan fiction, which is the New Testament. Um, yes, and that gets to the core of uh, this review and, and, and my stance on it in general, which is like, any person that's going to attack this film for being inaccurate about Jesus, I would, um, you know, ask that you look at your own um, sources here. I mean, in the Bible, the authors of the New Testament showed little interest in an absolute chronology of Jesus or in synchronizing the episodes of his life with secular history of the age, meaning... Or indicating that he was black. Just like um, our story of the Jews in Egypt being something that isn't politically recognized, like when you look at the political history um, of Egypt as reported by them, they at no time are like, oh, and that's when Moses came and did the ten plagues and blah, blah, blah. So again, these are stories that are that exist from a certain time, but that are not bound to the actual historical telling of said stories. Um, for that reason, all of it's fake, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the there's a very good reason for that, and that's that none of it happened. Exactly. So we're holding things that don't exist against other things that don't exist. Yeah. And, and then debating the historical accuracy of sure. any of it. We might as well that. be debating the historical accuracy of Lord of the Rings. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is very similar. Um, there's just as much magic. So um, to whoever that guy who thought we say fuck too much, right. we'll say fuck less, but hopefully this is less offensive. <laughs> 
No, this will surely be more. Um, because my issues are not with the issues that many people have taken umbrage with with this movie, which are, it's not accurate. It's a bad portrayal of Jesus. He would have never banged that woman. Um, but I, I disagree. I don't think you know any more than I do. Yeah, and, um, and let's put ourselves into Jesus' shoes for a moment. <laughs> you for sure would have banged that woman. Yeah. You know, the point is that, um, you know, obviously, if you're walking into this podcast being like, I'm going to listen to two Jews complain about a movie about Jesus. That's not entirely true. I mean, we are going to do that. But really, I'm going to complain about just Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't the movie is, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that on its own terms. Um, but I think a discussion needs to be had also um, about what made this movie so controversial why that controversy is is silly in my mind and um, how incredibly dangerous Christianity is. Yeah. Tonight on the Movie Blues Podcast with Dan and Dan. Yeah. Hit the, the theme. The, the, uh, okay. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe the theme song was before this. Hit the theme. First, at the top of this episode, I do want to make an important proclamation, um, kind of un unmoored to today's topic. Um, that is that, you know, if we learned anything from quarantine, it's that mental health, super important. <laughs> and when it comes to mental health, nobody needs it more than me and Dan. Yeah. Um, for those reasons. I feel, like, I feel like we're arguably, like, experts. Oh, with if experiential, um, <laughs> if experiential encounters mean for anything, then yes, we are the experts of mental health. And from the Movie Blues podcast, we wanted to tell you guys that it's okay to seek help. It's okay to, you know, talk to someone when you're feeling like you need to talk. Just if don't make you, that person Jesus. If you find yourself wandering in the desert away from your community, for example, and um, you have a bunch of schizophrenic breaks that lead to you thinking that you're the son of God. Seek help. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, if you uh, find yourself talking um, to uh, a version of Harvey Keitel that inhabits a lion, um, and um, you are, you know, when you return from that experience, you decide to um, run to every major synagogue and tell everyone they're wrong. You may need to talk to somebody. You may want to seek help. And for those reasons, the Movie Blues podcast is supported by Talkspace, a safe space for people like Jesus to have his full breakdown without causing the Crusades, millions of years of agony and pain, just because he had a freak out in the desert. Talkspace.com. Talkspace.com. Uh, get 10% promo code off this month if you go to Talkspace.com slash The Last Damnation of Two Jews. Two Yids on the Cross is the promo code. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dan, today we watched Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. And guess what, my dude? What's that? This is the first Criterion movie we've ever covered on the podcast. Oh. We've done Woo! Yeah. Um, welcome to a 
very smart podcast. It's a new era. It's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Um, this film is part of the Criterion Collection. It's spine number 70 for anybody that's out there looking at their um, warehouse sheet right now, trying to check off each one we've covered. It's just one Yet, so far. not on the Criterion channel. Uh, <laughs> um, no, um, and honestly, it's not on many channels. Um, there's a long and troubled, extremely sad history of this movie's inception and release. Um, it was originally going to be produced by Paramount Pictures. It was budgeted at $14 million. So find it and on Paramount+. Plus. And it was supposed to be shot on location in Israel. The project was aborted last minute in December 1983 when the management at Paramount uh, became nervous about many of the letters of protest they were receiving from religious organizations as well as the movie's increasingly um, ballooning production really? budget. Yeah, I wouldn't shoot this in Israel. Um, the film was going to be Martin Scorsese's next film after The King of Comedy, but when it got canceled, he went and made After Hours, 1985 instead. Eventually, Universal Pictures and the theater chain Cineplex co-financed it with a budget cut down to $7 million, and it was shot in Morocco. Um, this movie only cost $7 million to make? $7 million. Um, wow. Universal agreed to produce the film if Scorsese agreed to do a commercial film afterwards. The film afterwards was Cape Fear, one of my personal favorite Martin Scorsese movies, one of Dan Endon's least favorite. Yes. Um... Several theater chains refused to screen the film. Uh, one of them, General Cinemas, later apologized to Martin Scorsese for this. And how's General Cinemas doing now? <laughs> They're dead! Um, similarly, when released on home video and Laserdisc in the U.S., many video stores, including Blockbuster Video, did not carry the title because of the controversial reputation. Um, then things get really And how's Blockbuster doing? <laughs> They've got one left. Yeah. Um, then things got really fucking nuts. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a thread here with those who turned down the Scorsese. Um, due to several threats from religious groups, Martin Scorsese had to be accompanied by bodyguards during public appearances for a year after the movie's release. Yeah, and how's the church doing now? <laughs> <laughs> because of the controversies surrounding his role in the movie, uh, Willem Dafoe, who plays Christ in this, if anybody has not already gleaned that, was refused a role in another historical epic um, after the sponsors threatened to pull out all funding if he was cast. Thus, the role of Dr. John Henry Holiday in Tombstone 1993 went to Val Kilmer instead. Um, really? So, wow, movie history being made right there. This is like the 80s version of uh, Colin Trevorrow losing Star Wars in um, terms of cultural impact. Then things got even fucking crazier. Okay. Um, there was a bombing. And you got a whole fucking docket. There was a bombing of a, <laughs> of a theater uh, in Italy, I believe, um, that was playing the movie, and people died. Classic Italians. And, um, wow. uh, you know, like, this is really another one of the movies in history that, in my opinion, just got all the wrong reactions in press. I mean, it. I can see why this movie was controversial, but it's just, like, not... I mean, look, The Passion, that that is a movie that, like, by the end of it, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. This wasn't really that. And but it comes down to, like, there's a disclaimer at the beginning that couldn't be more clear as day, but as is tradition, Christians have willful blinders onto that part. Right. Uh, there are a lot of problems with this movie that I think um, are are worse than the controversy. Um, there are all kinds of things um, that shocked me while watching this movie. Here are some of them. Okay. <laughs> um, firstly, 
Soundtrack by Peter Gabriel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, when you, so Dan messaged me being like, holy shit, Peter Gabriel does the soundtrack to this, right. which I knew and was withholding that information because I was looking forward to you hearing the fucking score to this movie. I mean, like, it was good. It would have been great of a score for Beverly Hills Cop. Let me tell you what's wrong with this movie. And it's not that Jesus gets laid. <clears throat> what's wrong with this movie to me, and I uh, feel free to argue with this idea or perception, this movie was very sloppily made. Like, I felt the first hour and a half leading up to the crucifixion was all over the place. Oh, yeah. Visually, tonally, um, scenes felt almost improvised. They're exceptionally disjointed. There was a lot that either was missing or needed to be added. Um, the movie struggled to uh, declare itself as a historical telling of Jesus versus a character study of a guy. I mean, it, it, it really ping-ponged to a level where I couldn't figure out what the commentary ultimately was. Um, and that's what kind of kicked off a long period of research for me. I looked into a lot of... Uh, you know, by research he means that he read the Da Vinci Code. No, I read the Wikipedia entry for Christ. <laughs> I am not kidding, um, and clicked some of the sources and followed through. Um, but it seems as if the movie itself is based off the Synoptic Gospels. Um, there are two very different channels of the telling of the story of Jesus that exist. One of them includes many of the happenstances and circumstances that Jesus ended up in in this movie. Okay. Um, and the point is that, like, again, like, when your major deity has two published routes, and, and in reading about it, there's, like, a hundred. Uh, it's not two. But there's two schools of thought when talking about Jesus. The fact that there's no agreement of even the most core basic elements of this man or his life make it, I think, artistically acceptable to say and do almost anything you want with that character. And I mean, look how many subsects of Christianity there are that just sure. interpret everything differently and the historical diversions that were made when the King James Bible became forced upon everyone as the standard. Like, right. since the inception of Jesus as a concept, his perception and his role within the greater scope of the religion has changed. Right. And um, these are things that we're talking about that we are not experts on. No, I mean, that you know, let it be known that um, Josh Boyer is seething. Let it be known that somebody yeah. out there... Josh Boyer is, like, pulled over to the side of the road, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, ty ty typing up an essay on the rental zone. Um, let me put it this way, because this is all I can really do, is, is combine every source and all the reading and all the knowledge that I've absorbed about Christ in my short time on Earth vis-a-vis -vis this movie. Um, I, and then we're going to talk about the actual movie itself, but let's just start with Jesus. Okay. Um, for me, this movie was the first movie I saw about Jesus that seemed to match my personal opinion of who Jesus was. Right. Um, I mean, he's white, so not me. No, I'm not talking about the physicality. <laughs> um, what I'm talking about is that this movie goes a pretty far away in portraying and again, this is all about your take on the movie, but portraying Jesus as a guy who basically just uh, 
wanted to run against the establishment at a time when the establishment was everything, when money and commerce was everything. And um, he sought to undo um, all of those infrastructures because he was having his own absolutely delusional cult level mental quest himself about who is God of the Hebrews, who and why and what, why are we listening to him? Why again, like in the, in the new Testament, you see that he's breaking Sabbath, that he's wanting his followers to break Sabbath. This is just a story in my opinion, as I've always thought of a guy who is sick of the establishment at the time, but who replaced it with something I'm not going to say more dangerous, but something that wasn't thought out for as many thousands of years as the Old Testament. And for that reason, you see the splintering amongst his followers. You see the reverberation through history of many things. Jesus felt wronged, I think, by many different institutions. And and this is if, if he even existed at all. Right. And that, starting a religion with spite, it reverberates forever. Islam is the same exact way. They started right, out of a relax, place of, relax, take it easy. They started out of a place of everything we know about religion is wrong. This is actually the deal. Whereas the Old Testament did the same thing, but to ideas that were way crazier. Like when the Old Testament came out, it was like there's one God. That was the craziest right. idea from it. Totally. And and when Islam and Christianity were developed, we already had a religion where there is one God, where everybody at the time, for better or worse, was like, this is like this makes sense. Like you know these rudimentary rules we created in the desert seem to be doing a good job. And then a couple generations went by everyone forgot about um you know how these things began and the purpose of them being allegorical and then started taking everything literally flipped the script and and with christianity i think that you started from a place of oh god actually you know needs to punish us god actually requires that we feel constant guilt you could see why there would be a desire at that time to rebel against that doctrine given sure. given that the old testament is like predicated on the third commandment being like thou shall not kill yes yet they were living in a world where like well this whore broke the sabbath exactly so like the fact that judaism was the religion that was kind of the proletariat's religion at the time underneath the romans that was the thing that could have been turned on it's not like jesus as a spiritual cult leader, essentially, could have turned on the Romans and taken the Romans down without there being any connection to Judaism. So, like, I'm also not one of those people that, when I was younger, I thought this, would argue that, oh, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. And I for the record, we're not we're not saying that the Judaism is correct. We should make, no, that, we no. should make that clear. I, 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 I'll, I'll go and say that all of them are wrong. Yeah. But you're talking about thousands of years of saying my made up story is better than yours here is how I'm going to show that and like I'm not here to say that the Old Testament is true at all I'm, I am already said that the Old Testament is something that was created thousands of years before had refinement, had rabbis for generation after generation doing what Jesus' apostles ultimately did which was take the few things that he said and try to form many ideas out of the many rules and constancies across the religion like And when it came to Jesus, again, I think it was too late. I think that the reason there's the blowback against Christianity 
it is sensible is because it it was taking something that people were very comfortable with and I don't even mean a political system a, a religious system right. and flipping it on its head and not only that this film is the first one I've ever seen that shows how pervasive Jesus was in making that happen and, oh, yeah. and in in no other movie about Jesus did I find it as unavoidable the crucifixion as this one was I was like of course they crucified him in this one in, in the passion it's more like damn they did him dirty yeah right in this one it's like no and this one's he's it's like oh that's the boston bomber oh damn jesus christ he's he's in this one he's a, he's a you shushed me a minute ago and you just compared him to the boston fucking bomber. i'm just saying in this one it's very clear that he's like a fucking rabble rouser yes. like historically perfect word for historically it. fucking very visible revolutionaries right get the wall um, so yeah, that that is my take. I want to hear your take next, but my, my take in the lens of this movie is that I think that, you know, of all of the completely baseless guesses about who Jesus was, that this is as valid as anything. I don't see why, you know, of course it's like, there's so many things about this movie that invalidate it, honestly, but that has nothing to do with someone being able to say, here's what I think about Jesus. I don't think that people needed to die over that. Just like I don't think that millions of people needed to die in the Crusades for Jesus either. So it's a it's a long history of violence against people who speak out against the church, people who make movies that speak out against the church. I think we're at a point in time when those things are cooling out and we can be a little more mature about them and not as like trigger happy, but at the same time, like, Jesus Christ. I don't have a ton of, like, hot takes on Jesus, because, A, I've always dismissed the New Testament in general. <laughs> I mean, I spent I spent ten years in conservative Hebrew school where they were like, just ignore that. Um, but, you know, I also, as someone who's lived with um, someone who at least grew up Catholic, I've gotten some insight. And That's for sure. My, my ultimate, <laughs> my, you know, my ultimate conclusion is that, like, realistically, it's all the same bullshit as the Old Testament. There are aspects of Christianity's approach to the Bible that I think make far more sense than what Judaism presents. There, I'm like, sorry, what? Like, <laughs> I just tuned out for a second. You were saying what? That uh, there are aspects of the Christianity's of Christianity's perspective that, like, make more logical sense. Now I gotta find a new podcast host. Um, Josh, you out there? <laughs> like, for instance, like, you know, walking through a village, like, disrupting and destroying all the small businesses, that appeals to me. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I was gonna say one of the biggest, you know, things that is interesting knowing you and seeing what kind of person Jesus is being portrayed as in many different forms of media is like, damn, <laughs> homie was like a cab and fucking yeah. ready to go. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. But Jesus like, for sure was in a left wing, a left wing radical. Yeah. Um, Josh Boyer got very upset the last time I indicated that. Oh, well, he's not here. Yeah. Is he? Not yet. Um, you know, it makes much more sense to me. The idea, at least in theory on paper, that if you are going to have this organized religion, whereas Judaism presents this very, very vengeful God, who there's a there's a whole slew of shit that happens in um, I want to say in Leviticus. Um, I can't remember the exact book, but there's a whole thing where there's uh, a, 
God wants this army, well, this roaming band of misfit Jews, of disparate Jews, to go to Jerusalem and take back Jerusalem against an army that's like 50 times their size and is totally unreasonable. And I forget who's talking to God, but they're like, there's no way we can pull that off. And there's this like two page long passage where God is like, listen, you can do whatever you want, but I want you to know that if you do not go siege Jerusalem, I'm going to put a plague on every generation of all of your families for the next five generations. I'm going to murder all of your kids all of your wives will become fat, useless, and covered in boils and sterile. Mm. I will rain down fire upon everything you ever loved. It's like it's it's actually like comical. Like it's just a list yeah. of horrible things that are well, going to happen. There's so many examples which, of him doing that. That we're admitting that in struggling as well. In contrast to a new ta- New Testament where Jesus is preaching a God of forgiveness, right, and willingness to absolve your sins. Yeah. In a world where I believed in any of it, that part would track more with what God is presented to me as a child. I would argue, though, that from a anthropological perspective, that the result of that being the attitude of Christianity is far more damaging than anything in T- Judaism. Totally. I'm talking in a vacuum. Well, I can't look at it in a vacuum because at the end of the, d- of the day, for me, like, A, yes, the God of the Old Testament was extremely vengeful but he's the same God that he is in the New Testament. It's not that they said, he's that like, was actually like, another God. Our God is blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, that's that was God. Jesus, this is still the same God no, creating like, this. God's just a little bit more chill now. Yeah, God is chill by sending his son to get flogged, tortured, and have his skin flayed? No. I mean, that's, that's classic God. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like fucking as God as it gets. Um, they even say in this movie, they as say God, directly to Jesus. Starring Jack movie, Nicholson they, and a dog, as God as it gets. And I don't have the the quote written down, but they say to Jesus in this movie, just like um, uh, Abraham had to sacrifice his son, you don't think God would do it for his own? And it's like, this is the exact same God, which is added to it. However, that's being presented by what ends up being Satan. Fine. Like... But, like, I agree with Satan multiple times in this movie, so... Yeah, I mean, I agree with Satan, like, multiple times per morning. (laughs) Here's a question that you won't know the answer to that I don't know the answer to that maybe someone driving their car pulled over on the highway now knows the answer to, but I don't know it. Which is that, like, at one point, Jesus is in the desert in this movie. He's having visions. He's having a schizophrenic breakdown, in my opinion. Is this when he's hanging out with the lion? Yeah, and he sees a vision of God, but he also sees a vision of Satan. He says to the vision of Satan, you are Satan. And I'm just wondering, like... I was under the impression that Satan is a fully New Testament idea. It is, yeah. first of all. Yeah, he's a fallen, he's a fallen angel. But second of all, did I've society at the time know about Satan before Jesus and the New Testament happened? Because Jesus is like, you know, you're like the dark one. You're Satan. And he says Satan. Yeah. And not like this is a documentary, but what I'm saying is like, I assume in the Bible... In the New Testament, maybe Jesus talks about Satan being not... I don't know. Should we phone a friend? I don't know. You want to phone a friend now? Yeah, to ask a question. I guess so, I feel like we can just call to just... Okay, yeah, let's hash this one out. All right, so right now we're calling Josh Boyer. He's our our resident religious expert. Josh? Yeah. Hey. Hey, what's up? Hey, this is a live call from the Movie Blues podcast with Dan and Dan. Would you like to accept the charges? Uh, 
Yeah, I'll accept the charges. Okay. So, so we're having um, not so much a debate as much of a discussion where we're just ignorant on the topic, so we decided to phone a friend for some insight. Okay. So, like, when Jesus is in, like, the desert and shit, and he's like, oh, Satan, you're testing me. Like, how did anybody know it about Satan at that point? Did that idea exist in between the Old and New Testament? Yeah, or did we Jesus... were under the impression that Satan was purely a construct of the New Testament. Yeah, now I'm wondering if it's just something Jesus made up like everything else. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start there. Um... I mean, Satan is referenced multiple times in the Old Testament, and if you read through the Psalms, he's also referenced as well. Um, the definition of what um, that was in Sheol, right? The place of death. Um, yeah, Sheol is definitely a place, but they never reference it being ruled by a fallen angel in the Old Testament. That's 100% not in there. Um, and actually, in the book of Isaiah, he's referenced as well, which uh, is not allowed to be read in Israel. So. <laughs> Classic. Why is that? Um, it's considered a forbidden book because they say it goes. It's contradictory. So the book, the, the book Testament. of Isaiah, is in the Old Testament, but it's like just like a scrapped passage. Yeah, basically. See, that seems unreasonable. So, yeah, so that's and obviously you know Christians would say it is part of the, the biblical text. So it's. It's debated because that's where Jesus is originally predicted uh, as well. So when Christ is often confronted by the Pharisees, he references the book of Isaiah uh, as well as, like I said, parts of like uh, where the devil's mentioned. And then the devil obviously is originally mentioned in Genesis, you know, as the serpent. And then the prediction, you know, he shall crush his head um, and you shall bite, you know, his heel. Those are the references to, I guess, what you could say, a biblical battle between Satan and Jesus. Okay, so he was specifically referenced by the name of Satan in the Old Testament. Wrong. Yes, yes. Nope. Of course, the guy who kind of practices Judaism is still going to disagree with me. Josh, any final thoughts on the... Yeah. Daniel Scott Lyons, how often are you sacrificing? How often am I sacrificing? Yeah. I'm doing it right now. You're doing it right This is a sacrifice? Yeah. This is a sacrifice to have your blasphemies. Have your blasphemies on the airways. That's my daily sacrifice. You're the one who called the Goyim on Easter, so. Josh, happy Easter. Easter. Tomorrow's Easter. (laughs) Would you like to give a uh, small paragraph review of uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, Josh? It's my small paragraph. Uh, review is that William Defoe was a better actor and had a better death scene in the movie Platoon <laughs> than uh, in <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ. How does it make you feel that the most famous portrayal of Jesus um, by William Defoe was later to go on to star in a film called Antichrist? I didn't know that. There's a there's a movie called Antichrist with William Dafoe in it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should watch it it's, with your wife for it, sure. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, oh, I'm sure. It's a real lighthearted romp. Uh, actually, I think the saddest movie that William Dafoe died in was uh, the Gra- uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Which, was- which I think somebody else was it Harvey Keitel or somebody else from Last Temptation of Christ was in it. Wow, that was interesting. I I'm glad right. I brought that up. Right. Um, well, this isn't William Dafoe cast. Um, on on that note, I will say that if more questions arise, I might need to call you back because we're kind of winging it here. <laughs> Thanks.
right. we'll see you for the James Bond episode. So, so if yesterday was... As your resident... Oh, no, I said as your resident Christian and James Bond fan, I'm your resource for all things authoritarian. Yeah, I'm... Li- <laughs> yeah, I'm literally... Oh, yeah, speaking of which, we were just going through the movie and talking about how fucking just, like, yeeted out ACAB Jesus is just like total radical leftist, and I know you don't seem to feel that way, so I'm curious as to why. I don't think that I don't think you've got any political affiliation. I think that the idea of associating a a political field uh, with him immediately devalues the um, the spiritual aspect of it because I mean politics uh, should be kept secular and is a secular solution to a problem that can never quite be solved. Would you agree so, you know, that Jesus was correct in going through that village and destroying all those poor small business owners? Also, should we na- should we now defund? He went to the temple and he kicked out people that were selling money and stuff. Yeah, Josh, if it's not political, why does the Vatican have their own police force? Um, because I'm not Catholic and they're extremely corrupt. <laughs> all right, Josh. Exempt. Thank you very much for your input, buddy. All right. Yep, thanks, wait, guys. Are, are, I, I can't wait to hear this on the pod. Are you saying you agree with taxes? <laughs> uh, I'm, okay, I'm leaving now. <laughs> That's why I love Josh Boyer because. We called him, totally sprung that on him, and immediately he cited seven different specific biblical books to us and was willing to indulge all of my bullshit until I tried to goad him into admitting that he sees taxes are are warranted in some situations. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, Dan, I almost thought you had him in the chokehold there. (laughs) Um, The Last Temptation of Christ, Martin Scorsese's seminal epic about Jesus. Um, how did we feel about it? Um, general impressions first, I guess, should we do? I was talking like Yoda a little bit yeah, there. It was it was very, very long. Sure. Mm, sure. Yeah. Long I was talking to somebody that watched the Snyder Cut last week, but yes, yes, it was long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I felt the score would have been great for any other movie. For this movie, it made not a lick of sense. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it most definitely did not. Especially in the end credits. (laughs) It's just, it's totally inappropriate. There was one track that sounded like, it was like 80s drums going on. It was the scene where Jesus is walking around and all these people are yelling, King of the Jews! King of the Jews! And it was like, and then the melody was literally like, the melody to my heart will go on. Yeah. Um... I knew right from the beginning, like the opening titles when it said Last Temptation of Christ, and it was just like boom, 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 I was like, whoa! Oh, I'm gonna love this or hate it. Um, this movie also taught me exactly how little I actually know about the story of Jesus. Right. I was, you know, confused on numerous occasions. I, my whole life, have heard the name Mary Magdalene. I always assumed that was the same Mary that gave birth to Jesus. What, Dan? Are you kidding <laughs> so, me? So very early in the movie, I was like, I was like, is Jesus's mom putting his hand on her pussy? It's kind of like a Martha Batman Superman situation where they both realize they have the same mom's name. Um, just a coincidence, right. I think. 
Um, so yeah, like the Virgin Mary. There were like 11 Marys in this movie. When they say the Virgin Mary, they're referring to his mom, not the woman who is being run train on in a tent. <laughs> um, I figured just Jesus's mom had fallen on hard times. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie was at points real good. At points, real terrible. Yeah. Like, terribly bad. Yeah. Um, so ju- just to get it out of the way from yeah. the the functional standpoint, the volume inconsistency in this movie sickened me. Hmm. Like I didn't have many problems with that. It was nuts how much I had to change the volume throughout scenes in this I movie. I never did. That's really odd. Huh. Um, Dan got the nicer <sighs> cut. Here are the biggest problems for me for the, with this movie. A, everyone's white. Huge problem. <laughs> B, everyone is from New York City and has a New York accent. All the Jews, um, especially, are all white, like, classic Scorsese New York character actors. Scorsese making this movie in Morocco, I was just like, you couldn't get anyone else to make this movie. Yeah, well... He has such a specific character aesthetic. Yeah, it's... Well, it's kind of like this, all right? Now, when I saw Irishman, everybody gave me all this shit for thinking that it was good. Um, That's because it wasn't. Part of the arguments um, that people levied were, oh, you'll just... You'll see anything with these fantastic Scorsese actors in it. Well, A, yes, I will. But B doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it. And see, this movie proves that that is not true. You cannot port over uh, your cadre of fantastic actors into a period piece in Morocco uh, when they're all white and have no knowledge of Judaism. And, I mean, a lot of them look and sound nothing like Jews. Harvey Keitel coming into the screen as Judas, just like... That was hilarious. It was the most... <laughs> when he said his name was Judas, I was like, get the fuck yeah. out of here. I was like, get the fuck out of here, bad lieutenant. Um, that was the wildest casting choice, and apparently people trashed his performance. He, he won a, he won a, a raspberry. A that being said, I, I didn't think he was bad in it. I, I, felt, I felt compelled towards his character in a way that I didn't expect, because I always thought that Judas was the big bad guy. Um, right. Uh, you know, that's another good question for Josh, but this movie portrayed Judas as his best friend slash lover. Yeah, um, where it turns out that the quote-unquote betrayal was at Jesus's behest. Like, my yeah. whole life, Ju- like, I call people Judas. This movie Judas's. flipped a lot of All things right, we, like Should that. we call Josh again? No, not yet. Maybe we should keep, like, a list going yeah. so we can hit him with that. Because my whole life, ones. I've been like Judas. That's the guy who fucked over Jesus. This movie presents a Judas who is, like, his most loyal of all disciples, who even after Jesus went to go start a fucking harem family, yeah. like, it was still fucking enacting and living a lifetime of his te- of his initial teachings and carrying out his fucking jihad wishes. Also, like, they, you know, they, they portrayed Jesus's relationship with God, um, in my opinion, kind of like a Catholic's relationship with God. It's just, like, riddled with guilt and pain and making Jesus feel hopeless and like a slave and I like, mean my understanding is that that's how the Bible portrays Jesus yeah and that's how I would assume you know it goes because um that's how his followers continue to act thousands of years later so it is interesting to see the genesis pun intended of a lot of these like aspects of Christianity um not that this movie again is the accurate representation of that but it was interesting to see kind of like a real world estimation of like how would this idea have gotten started and then they kind of explain it and then there's other moments where they surely don't and jesus does does things that us as a viewer are not privy to and that's what makes a lot of this movie weird and frustrating for me is that 
sometimes Jesus is doing things as a reaction to his environment. Like, they uh, establish early on that he is a carpenter. Not only that, he makes the crosses right. that people are being hung on. So then you have pathos. You're like, oh, okay. Jesus is, like, running away from his town in the beginning of this movie and going into the desert because look at what he's being forced to do against his own countrymen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, that tracks. But then, like, there are moments in the movie where Jesus is just like, eat this loaf of bread. It's me. And you're like, where did... Th- what did you... Why right. did you feel the need to explain certain things, but then when the God and the magic start uh, stuff starts happening, then it's just like everything is ascribed to God. And but this just, is that very like seventies, eighties. I mean, really up until like probably like our age cultural thing where Christianity is seen as the default. Scorsese assumes that every person watching this movie is has had the story of Jesus beaten the fuck into them their sure. entire life. In Scorsese's world, Jews merely exist as, like, ancillary uh, periphery characters. But, yeah, I mean, I see from a, from a you know, a, a Christian or a Catholic point of view, there are things in this movie that <laughs> they, don't they fly. <laughs> they watch it and they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is bread, of course. They're like, oh, but they're also like, oh, yeah, like, Jesus is in an opium den waiting in line to run train on someone? Yeah, I mean, this is basically the Jesus as described by Chris Rock in Dogma. <laughs> to the degree where there is a line from this movie that I realize oh, is... Dan has been waiting for this ...directly moment, lifted in Dogma. Okay, there were, there were a handful of ones that were alluded to, but all these years where I've been like, wow, Kevin Smith had some really, like, subtle, insightful poignant, consolidated thoughts about Christ, (laughs) and they were all just dialogue lifted from this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, alright. You got this example handy? Yeah, there's one where, uh, where Jesus is trying to explain basically his plight and what it is that he's having to go through and the internal struggle, and he's just like, imagine you're a boy... And you get told you're the only son of God, but not only that, you're God himself. And that is, note for note, what Chris Rock says to, um, what's, Linda Fiorentino Mm -hmm. at a movies. Wow. Sitting. Well, you know Kevin Smith draws from the best. Yeah. Um. Unbelievable. Like, you, how, how does that skate by? I don't know. <laughs> Josh is going to be like, that line is literally yeah, in the literally book. Written on a tablet yeah. <laughs> in the Vatican. Yeah. It is the only artifact yeah. of Jesus' handwriting. It's written in the book of Job. Um. Anyway, certain things in this movie, um, especially in the first hour and a half, made no sense to me. Jesus talking to the lion was pretty lit. Um. Again, this uh, from a film perspective, this is one of the most hastily shot and cobbled together Scorsese films at the beginning of this movie, Dan, up until about an hour and 45 minutes in, I think you know what I'm referencing, but all the way up to the crucifixion, this movie was like a complete mess, honestly, at times. And the visuals even weren't very good. I mean, the yeah. lensing, the photography wasn't good. I mean, the, and what is the deal with, and I'm sorry, I know you're not going to like this, but Look at the next movie he made being Cape Fear, how on top of his cinematography he was when he has time to actually mount his shots. He can do experimental things. When I was a kid and heard about this movie, 
I, for some reason, my mental picture of it was this psychedelic for some yeah, reason. Yeah, same. It's to, always described like, that way. Like, psychedelic, um, hippie-ish. Yeah. Like, really um, off-color and inappropriate misappropriation of Jesus Christ's life. That was not this movie. No. Um, I would love to see that movie from Martin Scorsese. I, that is what I thought I was walking into. I thought that the visuals were going to be, like, yeah. hallucinogenic the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I thought when he went and built his little fucking circle to yeah. start fucking meditating on God, I was like, oh, shit. Or, or when he started looking into the cave of Lazarus and, like, it zooms in onto pure blackness, I was like, all right, now we're entering fucking iTunes visualizer world. And, like, there are parts Nothing. of this movie, like you're saying, the Lazarus part, like, that were, like, horror movie setups. And that I really appreciated. There were there were really horrific elements, um, moments of violence that were very interesting. Um, but overall, I mean, this movie's not really that edgy. It's no. it's it's very straightforward for most of its runtime. And then, and honestly, like up until the crucifixion, this movie for me, four five yeah, yeah. post crucifixion, post crucifixion, and now looking back at what the movie was yeah. higher. Yeah. Because like everything after that was extremely compelling. There is a tremendous film cliche. Um, it was started I don't know when but there are certain films that employ it excellently. Um, Brazil is the king of this uh, particular writing cliche which is having a character who is under a series of like horrible events and, and duress and close to their death being offered an opportunity to escape all that yeah. um, in the descent the Neil Marshall movie, the girl gets out of the cave right. and runs away and then wakes up and she's still in the cave. Like, there are movies that have employed this, again, Brazil being yeah. the best of them. These are movies in which you're shown something that did not happen. Um, this movie um, employed the same thing. Brazil, um, the character's getting tortured out of his mind and then he escapes and he gets with the girl and they drive a truck and they go off into the distance and they achieve all of their goals and then he wakes up and he's still being tortured. Right. Like that was done in this movie in a way that I texted you five seconds after Jesus was crucified. First of all, I just want to say to, to anyone listening, like I watched this movie up to the crucifixion. Yeah, spoilers, by the way. And yeah, spoilers, by the way, but who Jesus got crucified. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, I pause the movie. Jesus is on the cross, suffering. It says thirty-six minutes left, um, and I was like, "Holy fucking!" I know. I was shit. pissed. At, I was pissed at that moment. Little, little did I know that those would be the forty best mi minutes of the movie. Now, the other question we have to ask Josh when we call him back: What was the first one? Did you remember it? Um, no. Cool. Um, the second one. <laughs> <laughs> the second one we have to ask him is. This whole false ending where Jesus is given a temptation. The temptation is, I would assume, from Satan. And he's pretending to be God or an angel or something to that effect. And he's like, um, get off the cross and come with me. And Jesus is like, what? And like gets no. off the cross. This is the temptation. This is what the title refers to. Right. Is that, in my opinion, I would assume it is. Because I read a review where somebody was like, this movie is about like the temptation of Christ being all around him when he's young, when he's this and when he's that. In my opinion, this is so literal. The last temptation of Christ is right. the shot that he's given on the cross by, I would assume, Satan to go and live an entire life and, and get married and have children. And we're going to talk about all of that. We need to talk about all of this. But um, and then 
I texted Dan like in the first minute of it and was like, dude, is it going to turn out that Jesus is being offered all this as the temptation? And that's what the movie is about and that he will end up giving it all up and going back on the cross. I was like, holy shit, if that is it, this movie is a different level for yeah, me. Yeah, totally. Um, and then that is what happened. And yeah, it was it was, it was a staggering thing uh, to see in a movie when you just weren't expecting it. Yeah, especially because what's presented is that Jesus is up on the cross and you're presented with his guardian angel coming to explain to him, hey, don't you remember... Abraham having to sacrifice his kid. This is the same thing that's happening right now. You don't actually have to die. You served your purpose. Now you get to live your life as a normal human, which is really what his temptations were throughout the entire thing and what he was lamenting, having the burden on his shoulders of not getting to experience. He was, he was, he didn't want to be the savior of mankind. He wanted to just like bang all these hookers that are constantly throwing themselves at him. So. Um, this little girl comes up to Jesus up on the cross and is like, hey, you can, you know, you, you fulfilled your purpose. You showed your dedication to the cause. Now you get to live life as a man. Come down off the cross. Do this, that, and the other thing. And they're walking through this this bucolic forest discussing how Jesus is like, oh, is this is this the new world? And she's like, no, this is what Earth looks like now that this burden is off your shoulders. Being a human is actually fucking awesome. Um, angels actually look down on man hmm. with jealousy. Hmm. And at that moment, I was like, hey, that's also the plot of Dogma. Damn, dude. You done broke the dam on this one. I know. Kevin Smith's going to sue somebody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this whole Last Temptation thing is incredible. Um, yeah. But do also... We, do we want to call Josh before... Do we want to talk about the good things in this movie? Like, yeah, we're kind of talking about yeah. the good things in this movie. I have I mean, a list of things that I found very appealing in this movie. Okay. Um, one, Harvey Keitel and Willem Dafoe kissing on the lips so often. Yeah. Wait. Hot. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Why the fuck was everybody making out with Jesus in this movie? Dude. It was gay and weird and, <laughs> and like, um... Uh, I know, for a religion, you know the weirdest for a religion that's so anti-gay, their savior is really just fucking going tongue-deep in every fucking man. Every, on every one of his men, <laughs> going lip to lip. This is perfect. Because, like, I was wondering about that when he kisses John the Baptist, I was like... Oh, that's, that makes sense. John the Baptist is certifiably insane. So that, <laughs> that all tracks. Um, but then when he continues to kiss people on the mouth, his initiation... Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was very uh, I felt, Nexium vibes. I felt, yeah, I felt like if, yeah, it was very cultish and... Jesus it, it, is Keith Raniere, is what we're learning. Uh, it's, it is a sound theory, is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying... I'm saying Read that the facts. if to any of our listeners who are juniors in colleges and have a paper to write in your religion class, this is a thesis that could be backed up. Should we call Josh? Yeah. Let's call Josh. All right. We are calling our resident Christian. Is he Christian? Am I mislabeling him? I He's always, Christian. He's a straight up. I miss, ev I miss everything him, and I miss him too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Josh Boyer. Dan Andy. Daniel Th Scott Lyons. 
Yes. So um, we, we had need some... your help, Daddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I have a couple questions just regarding um, his Jesus. historical accuracies, yes. and by history I mean biblical accuracies. We're doing this for you. Thanks. Okay. So n- n- number one, as portrayed in the first act of the film, prior to Jesus's embarkment on his que- vision quest. Um, did Jesus actually have to build crosses for other for the Romans? No. As a carpenter, no, that's not a thing in the Bible. He wasn't like. Because no. I, I choose to believe it. To being a carpenter, but there's no reference to any work he did. Okay, because I was like, holy shit! If that's like his fucking character arc that he had to start by building crosses, that's compelling. Epic. Okay. <laughs> I think I like the movie that's version better. I yeah. like the movie version okay. better. On that I'm note, <laughs> on that note, um, was there actually a last temptation of Christ as depicted with while he was on the cross, him getting the opportunity from the devil to a- abandon the salvation uh, track and go live a regular life? No. So the only the t- there was temptation of Christ in the desert for forty days, right? That's in the Bible that he was out there fasting for 40 days and, um, you know, being tempted by Christ. Um, the only thing you could say before the crucifixion is he, he prays to God and says, you know, take this cup from me uh, if you can, right? And uh, he still gets crucified. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. The answer was no. Okay. Last question. This is the most important one. So culturally, we're always presented with the character of Judas as being the ultimate betrayer of Christ. It's like now part of our cultural lexicon to call anyone who's a Benedict Arnold a Judas. Whereas this movie... Pretr- How authoritarian also to use Benedict Arnold. <laughs> I, know, I, was, I was thinking that. This, uh, this movie portrays Judas as someone who's actually Christ's most loyal disciple and his betrayal of him was at Jesus's own behest and demand of him. It sounds so stupid. Uh, um, is that the case? Actually, say yes and no. I mean, so Christ knew he was going to betray him, right? So he said, one of you will betray me tonight. And, you, and you know, Judas says, is it me? And he says, oh, as you say it is, right? And so, no, he didn't do it at his best. But in the same sense, like, he knew it. He didn't stop it. And nor did he, like, be like, oh, Judas, you scumbag, right? Because he knew that's where he was meant to go. Okay. So, uh, and then obviously Judas regrets it and hangs himself in the field he buys. Really? And it wasn't even that much money, like 30 denarii, which is like silver. That's like, in today's money, it's like maybe, I think, like 10 to 20 grand, right? Okay. So think about betraying one of your best friends for like a car payment. But so like in the, <laughs> so, so, so like in the Bible, is it portrayed that like Judas genuinely was going to betray Jesus for superficial means? Or was yeah. it more so yeah. that he knew that Jesus like saw that that was going to happen and did it because Jesus is all knowing and whatnot and knew that he had to fulfill that timeline. No, no, no. So definitely he did it for superficial reasons. I mean, actually, you could even argue that many of the disciples didn't even really know or believe he was the Messiah until after the crucifixion. Okay. So the so whole thing that happens in the movie... He's a really cool teacher and I'm following him and Judas was one of those guys and then he was like, meh, I'd rather just have some cash. Gotcha. So this whole thing at the end of the movie where Judas comes to him as like, he's like, it's been 50 years that you've been, (laughs) you've, you've been slumming it up with wives and I've been following your teachings. 
and you are actually the betrayer, that's not a real thing. No, yeah, not at all. Not even close. Would you agree that that would make the story better? <laughs> no, I would from, not. From, from like a dramatic me. perspective, you know what I mean? From a dramatic perspective. Uh, we just feel like there's not enough pathos for this character. I, I'm just like, if that, if, if none of that happened, good enough for you? If, if none of that happened, where the fuck did this idea come from, this plot thread? It's fucking bonkers. Well, um, usually in a thing called real life, guys, there doesn't need to be like a, a plot thread all the time. People are just terrible people. I don't understand. <laughs> right. Yeah, can you explain this to me in the context of 80s Martin Scorsese movies? Yeah, right. I mean, and we can even argue that the Christ metaphor is the plot thread used in like 90% of American cinema. Yeah, 100%. So. Oh, all right. So, so, like, that's just like, it's such a wild uh, misdirection of the character. It I, is. I mean, there's no, you can't, so there is... There's a lot of debates on why Judas would do it. And like I said, a lot of people agree that of the 12 that everyone always talks about, you know, the Last Supper, for the most part, they were just following because they thought he was a cool guy. Like, there's only a handful of times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where people actually think, like, ooh, could he be the Christ? But they don't, they don't like, say, oh, yeah, he's a Christ, I'm in, I'm following. They're just like, hey, you're really cool, you're healing people, I'm following you. And... Yeah, I like being homeless, too. (laughs) So when he... Is is the interaction portrayed between Jesus and John the Baptist accurate? Where, like, John the Baptist is there, like, basically acting as a false messiah, but he knows Jesus already and can instantly tell that Jesus is, in fact, the messiah? Yeah. So, yeah, he's the only example they give where he knows that he's the messiah. So, and everyone thought that John the Baptist was the messiah. So that's all actually pretty accurate. Um... And uh, so he's the only one who says flat out, like, this is the real deal. I'm just a guy who puts people in water. And, um, and then his head's cut off. So Okay, so what do you think work out great. the writer of the book that, on which this was based, like, what would... The writer of the book. What would, what would possess them to make the ultimate character arc be that Judas is actually the most loyal out of everyone? Um, I wouldn't say it makes him the most loyal. It would make it mean, actually, I think it's a great example of uh, working all things out to what we, as Christians, call the glory of God. So even our mistakes can work out to good things. So Judas being a dirtbag actually worked out in the end. But he's not a dirtbag in this movie. In in this movie, Jesus literally tells him to betray him because that's what needs to happen. (laughs) That's not real life. (laughs) I mean, neither is the original thing, Josh. They're both fictional, bro. I'm I'm just saying like what like where does this come from this idea that Je- like Jesus is on his deathbed and Judas shows up and reveals that he's be- he feels betrayed by Jesus because after Jesus bailed from the cross Judas has been carrying out his teachings for the previous 40 years it's fucking bonkers I don't understand where that would come from. I mean, you're going to have to talk to Martin Scorsese. If you guys have his number, please share it with me. I mean, we're going to call him now. Can you ask, like, your pastor? (laughs) Yeah, I'll ask my pastor at the last temptation of Christ on Easter. I'm sure that'll go over great. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you, John. That should probably be the last phone call. Appreciate it. Perfect, guys. See ya. (laughs) All right. Thank you again, Josh. Josh Boyer. Really made the episode. Um, We found a way to shoehorn you into this one without actually having to ask you this is what we should have done for cuties with him 
is right. we should have just called him right. a bunch of times and then put his name on the episode, but we're definitely yeah, doing it on this one. I don't think he would have been able to cite scripture. We're regards. still going to do James Bond. Here's what I've been thinking. Crazy new thought. Like, Moonraker... Pretty retarded, but, <laughs> but like, I've never seen the Timothy Dalton Johns. Have you? Which ones are those? Exactly. Okay. Like, I've never even seen them. I, I for sure saw them as a kid. I've seen every James Bond movie up until the Daniel Craig ones. I think they're all utterly ridiculous, so I'm wondering yeah. if this, like, moody, like, Timothy Dalton, maybe, performance will be good. I mean, I do love Timothy Dalton. The movies are for sure shit, Dan. Anyway, back to Jesus. Yeah. Um... Cool guy. We, we probably took some pretty cool observations about the man himself in the film itself. Is there anything you want to say about The Last Temptation of Christ before we get our ratings in? And yeah, I want to say, A, what is it with 80s movies, blood looking so bright and terrible? Hmm. Like, just add some black to that shit. <laughs> okay. Go off, King. Awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> Willem Dafoe's pubes while he was on the cross yeah. were... Oh, I meant to ask Josh, too, like, what was up with the little stool that he was sitting on when he was getting crucified? Yeah, it's, you need a comfortable savior. I've never seen that portrayed. Like yeah, that. I don't know. It made it so his pubes would be highlighted. Yeah, that was like, his pubes should have gotten their own credit billing because they were fierce. You want to know what kind of confused me about this movie with the crucifixion part was that I know for a fact that in the, in the New Testament it says that like, Jesus gets speared, and in The Passion, it's disgusting. Yeah. He breaks open like a watermelon yeah. in, the, in The Passion. This one, there's not um, even blood when he's ripping his own heart out of his body. Well, like, I was so confused, because, like, okay, Jesus is up on the up on the cross, his pubes are like a, the burning bush, basically, <laughs> um, and um, it's like... A, he has this weird little stool that he's sitting on. I, I could not figure out the deal with that. I don't know if that's how they crucified people. I thought they were, like, hanging, but regardless. He was hanging. I don't think that was meant to be seen as a stool. I think it was just, like... Well, so all of the people crucified next to him were also in the exact... Yeah, because they not, they didn't have the effects to keep, to like, make someone look crucified. Huh. Well, they just needed to stretch his legs out a little more, Yeah, you know? Just yeah. didn't look right. Yeah, it didn't look great. It was almost as if they did it on purpose. I was way preoccupied with his pubic region. <laughs> his, his mom's pubis. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that man has a fucking bush to write home about. Um, I really, I don't know if there's like a record for how many times Willem Dafoe shown his penis in movies at this point, but I know the man's body I intimately. Know, talk about fucking... You haven't even seen The Lighthouse either. Talk about that's fucking... That's where you really, you get to see a lot of his goods. A movie starring Willem Dafoe and Harvey Keitel, like, that's just like, that accounts for like 70% of the dicks in world, in like American cinema I history. <laughs> You know Harvey Keitel was on site. Like, dude, when do I get to show my cock? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, there are some amazing moments in this movie. I'm sure that made like people angry. One of them that I could kind of tell, like from a meta perspective, probably offended someone. <laughs> um, is like when they introduce Mary. Um, uh, <laughs> And she's covered in very fucking suspect tattoos. <laughs> Apparently, she looks I read that she had spring to, breakers. She had to keep applying her own tattoos because they couldn't afford a makeup person. Wow. And they only could use the makeup person on certain days, so she would spend the nights in her trailer, like, re... 
doing her tattoos. Yeah, they spent all their money on a groomer to fucking make sure Willem Dafoe's bush was nice and plump. (laughs) Well quaffed. Um, Anyway, there's a scene in which Mary is talking to Jesus, and she goes, if you want to save my soul, this is where you'll find it. Yeah. And just presents her vagina. Yeah, and places (laughs) his hand right onto it. And Uh, I was like, damn. Damn. I was like, surely this is his first temptation of Christ. Jesus, uh, after his second... But it also seemed like the implication there was that, like, they'd fucked previously. No, That's the vibe I was getting, I but then later... Like childhood like, friends, Later maybe? on, she's like, you're a virgin. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then stop putting the man's... That's... You know what? Mary Magdalene would get canceled today, for sure. <laughs> um, I was triggered every time somebody called Jesus rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Even though that is historically accurate, apparently. Which, honestly, that made me feel much closer to the Jesus character. All of a sudden, I was like, all right, I'm rooting for this guy. <laughs> I have a note that says, this, this movie is on par quality-wise with Braveheart at best. <laughs> <laughs> My, I have a note that says, Jesus' deathbed prosthetics are harrowing. <laughs> um, first of all, when Jesus like decides to be a human being um, in the last 40 minutes, um he does just like progressively get just like balder and uglier yeah. and they just put him in more like compromised exhausted positions yeah. <laughs> until he's eventually just like tired out and dies um yeah um about that last like whole temptation scene um something did rub me a little wrong with it and i guess since it didn't really happen in the new testament there's no no one to really call out over it or anything but like Jesus is offered, like, what I, in 30 seconds of watching it, appraise to be a trick from the devil. Right. um, And the trick is, like, will you get off the cross and, like, just go walk and live a peaceful life? And I'm like, okay, like, will he even accept that? Right. And then he makes it out of the woods. And I was like, okay, Jesus, like, (laughs) going for a walk, all right. And then he's like, oh, ooh, look, like, my favorite whore. Like, I'm going to settle down. And I was yeah. like, ooh, Jesus. That's like a... And he, you know the vibe that I was getting, Dan, was like disclosure that we were talking <laughs> about? Where it's like Michael Douglas for sure cheated. Right. Like, he right. didn't just get sexually his- assaulted. Yeah. He was like, I put my penis in her mouth. Yeah. Like, that's that's you that's, doing that's it. That's Jesus. That's you... <laughs> That is Jesus um, in this movie. He goes way further than Michael Douglas did. Yeah. He settles down, lives an entire life. Yeah. He goes from the cross, ready to give up his life for the salvation of mankind, something that he has ordered his disciples to subject him to, and within moments switches to, oh my God, I need to seek out that whore. (laughs) He's like, it's time to to go whoremongering. And also, I'm going to marry another one just in case. I guess, like, from a meta point of view, once again, like, I guess there was a scene where Jesus was, like, pounding ass hard, <laughs> where Jesus was clapping some cheese. Yeah, he has a ton of kids. I did, did not expect to see, I mean, I expected to see Willem Dafoe's cheeks many times, yeah. but I didn't expect to see Jesus clapping cheeks. Yeah. And I really appreciated that yeah. from a narrative and viewer point of view. And I also felt like that last scene, the whole Last Temptation, like, is just, like, the condemnation of religion in general. Totally. It's like, look at the effects of the terrible things that you did in in Jerusalem and what they've done to all of your friends, and they've destroyed all of their lives. I mean, Harvey Keitel, it's, like, the saddest story ever. He comes in, he's like, oh, everyone's looking around, like, oh, 
Oh, Harvey's so mad. He, he's not even gonna talk. Yeah, like, he's not even gonna talk. Like Judas, speak to your master. It was a very Star Wars esque um, moment. And Judas was just like, like I toiled for a hundred years yeah. fighting. Harvey Keitel was like somehow uncharacteristically Jewy in this movie. <laughs> yeah, they give him like a recessed hairline. <laughs> and, like, um, and and yeah, it was like a huge, tremendous guilt trip. But like, by the time Judas lays the guilt trip on him, he's literally on his deathbed, right? right. But like, multiple people lay this shit on him for decades leading right. up to that right. in, the, in this fever dream. Like, people constantly come to him and are like, no, you're not Jesus. Like, I knew Jesus... Like, here's what happened as a result, and he sees all these horrible things that Christianity is causing right off the bat. Right. And it's like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I really enjoyed that one scene where he confronted the one guy who was, like, proselytizing about the history of Jesus. Yeah, and he, very like, interesting. he confronts him to be like, why very are you me- spreading these fucking lies? Very meta. Yeah. Like, you're getting to see Jesus see real-life practice Christianity. Yeah. And the guy is, is literally pissed. like, he's like, the guy says, I don't care. If you're Jesus or not, I will crucify you in front of all of these people because that's what they fucking want. Yeah. And you just see all these people just going apeshit over it. It was... Dude, so, like, I don't know. We're going to talk about Golden Gun ratings. That like, last part, man, is like, so powerful. The first three acts of this movie, which I'm just going to see, describe as the New Testament, like, four out of... Four golden guns at best. Yeah. So that's both on that part of the movie as well as the Old Testament. Poorly made. Wax story. Very bizarre editing, musical choices. Yeah. Much like the Bible. Just very slapshot filmmaking, yeah. and I just did not appreciate the it. Le- the fourth act of the film? <laughs> the big part, balls. The part that does not happen in the Bible? Big dick Fucking swing. rocks. <laughs> yeah, and, and makes it so that the story of the passion of the Christ... Like, the weeks leading up to it, even his childhood, that is the B-plot, almost, right. to this movie. Right. And and marginalizing that story, and then having a character transform into something... This dude, this would be like, at the end of The Matrix, if, if they were like, <laughs> Neo, bro, like, this shit is all a joke. Like, just yeah. hop out of being in The Matrix, yeah. and Neo This would be out. like Neo turning into Mila Kunis and Jupiter. And, and they're just like, yo, you're just in a movie. Like, it's all good. Like, yeah. you're, you're gonna be fine. Like, it was, it was crazy. It would be like if Neo was like, why don't we all just plug back in? Yeah. It was dark. Which, which that's what I would do if I was Neo. Every time I watch The Matrix... I, I I feel the only rational person in that entire thing is yeah. fucking Joe Pantoliano. Absolutely. He's like, I want to go back in the Matrix. That shit rocks. He had a great hairstyle, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Golden Gun rating for episode one of season four, Last Temptation of Christ. What yeah. are you going to give it to? I'm giving The Last Temptation of Christ a 7.2. Okay. Yeah. Because I was... Up through the crucifixion, I was like, I'm going to be the fucking Jew going on the podcast, giving The Last Temptation of Christ like a 3 out of 10. Yeah. But what that last act did to the character arc was so fucking compelling. I guess and his performance, just the writer of this movie. Not yeah. even Scorsese, just, right. just Paul Schrader. And his performance when he goes up, when he crawls out of his deathbed and goes up to the hill to like yell at God... And, like, be like, I do want to be the savior. Like, the fucking, it's that classic Willem Dafoe, smi- like, evil smile, like, of just pure insanity. Right. I'm like, all right, this is that first, this is the first taste of Willem Dafoe becoming the fucking lunatic we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, this is compelling cinema, and I could have done without the entire first hour of this movie. 
Yeah, the first hour, once you see the second hour... Yeah, I mean, especially, like, if you think about it, like, if the movie would have started with just kind of, like, Last Supper. Start right there. Yeah. And then you would have had, like, the craziest hour and, like, 19-minute movie about Jesus ever made. Yeah, for sure. But, like, it feels like they, half the time, are trying to actually make a movie about Jesus. And that's where it gets muddling and confusing yeah. and that's where the experience of watching it starts to disconnect it's, it felt like it was trying to do a misdirect by being like here's the story of jesus it was and, and now we're gonna fucking blow your fucking balls but off by making was. everything fall apart yeah it was like here here's the story but of you jesus, don't need but a two, only you don't so need a two hour long misdirect yeah it was crazy i'll it, give it a seven it, it also has made me realize like just because I just I realize how little I know about the New Testament in general, right. like names wise and stuff. I'm just like, how many fucking Mo songs are about the Bible? I've realized from watching this movie. Don't know the band. Don't appreciate the reference. <laughs> move on. All right. I don't listen to music. Um, so I'm giving it a seven. You got a seven point two. You want to dial it up on the new board? Yeah, baby. All right. Let's get it going. Um, so, so, in contrast to last season, The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> Anti-coronavirus. Basically the same movie. It did beat anti-coronavirus. It just edges out Fast Five. It did not beat Fletch. Oh my god. It Oof. slightly, slightly edged out Lawnmower Man by one. Slightly <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. Slight, we need to look at all of our old scores. Slightly edged out The Haunting of Bly Manor. We need to do some grand balancing across all of these. It beat Cuties. It tied Disclosure. Um, I, that's why, you know, perfect that I referenced it. It, it beat Fat Man. It lost by 0.7 to Tenet. Fuck. It lost significantly to Little Italy. Well, get ready to readjust that because we're about to watch Tenet. <laughs> and uh, it lost to Barry Lyndon, which, fair. It, it reminded me in terms of movies that we covered the most of Barry Lyndon, but it didn't connect with me nearly as much. It was a period piece about, like, just, like, male insanity and yeah. power. What a fucking... I what mean... weird movie. Dude, it, if, I, if I believed... If I lived in 80s culture, when, like, back when, like, back when Jesus was Jesus in this country, like, and I saw this movie, I'd... Probably, like, if I was a true believer, I could see myself sending a mail bomb to someone. Like, and with that failed threat, <laughs> you're like, you're gonna tell me this fucking New York Italian is gonna fucking talk about my Jesus that way? Um, anyway, uh, more to look forward to the season on the Movie Blues podcast, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great intro episode. <laughs> If you're still listening, we appreciate it. I'm so and, thrilled um, that this was this and not King Kong vs. Godzilla. Oh, dude, that movie would have—it it, would have been the end for you. Do you, you think? Quit. I think you would have quit and gone home. Do you think Godzilla had any like Christ-like allegories on his character? I, I wish. <laughs> I, I wished for any theme, for anything to be worth anything. Yeah. Um, I just want to say before we head out, uh, this season's gonna get fucking bizarre. Um. I've got a lot of fucking crazy movie choices. Dan has a lot of, like, internalized things that he has to deal yeah. with. Last year we went down a real fucking weird path where we were going down a dangerous, a very dangerous path of, like, only doing just, like, shit movies. No. Now we're going to get classy and shittier yeah. at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, we're going to try to pendulum back and forth between things of quality and things of absolute non-substance. Yeah. We landed on like a comfortable, a comfortable medium where we were, our niche was being carved out of movies that were not objectively bad, but exceptionally wrong-headed, and I felt that was the sweet spot. Before I go, because this was supposed to be Godzilla vs. Kong, I'd like to give a two-sentence-ish review. Godzilla vs. Kong broke my spirit. Having a lot of trouble with the thought of seeing movies. Which one of them died? Neither. <laughs> really? <laughs> one was I fucking told one you. was unequivocally the winner and stood on top of the other and looked at him and they were like, You you admit you lost. And the other one was like, I did, and was like laying there like, oh god, in so much pain, to the point that they had to start its heart. To get it even to come back to I life. Called to, that, I called that shit two fucking months ago when you were like, one of them dies. I was like, no, they do not. On every poster, it says one will fall. Okay. The, only, the only one that actually fell is Jesus. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong is the kind of Chinese-American split-co movie making that makes me sick and want to die. It is soulless, toneless garbage stacked on top of a turd wrapped in a blanket of AIDS and I'll have nothing to do with it. I'm done with those movies. Thank God. I don't God. care if they make another one I'm of so them. Pumped. I excused you from this one because I don't want to make anyone else see this movie uh, nor do I want to promote it in any I, I, I want to point out that there were like Dan was like <laughs> Dan gave me a three month warning of the date of the release of this movie being like look like I know you hate these movies, but now you can like you can mentally prepare for it. This should like, be its own episode. Like, Just us having not watched it. Yeah, like <laughs> really, like so. I was like all month on my calendar. I'd be looking at what I have to do, and I'd have on a Friday night, say, watch King Kong vs. Godzilla, and it was weighing on me so heavily. But I was just like, all right, I'm fucking doing it. I'm fucking doing it. And then that day, Dan was like, look, you don't have to watch this movie. Yeah. And I fucking I like. Did a fucking cartwheel. Yeah. I mean, I, I now <laughs> knowing what that movie is, I, I struggled with whether I should watch it without you, obviously. I, I was internalizing, like, you know, it's going to be so much better if Dan and I watch it at once, blah, blah, blah. Um, then everybody at my work s saw that me and one other coworker were talking about it. So they decided, because they're very mature, to all go out. An employee actually went out of their way to watch it so that she could tell me <laughs> what happened at the end of it. I bet I can she guess had never which one. Seen, yeah, you can. <laughs> she had never seen any other movie in the series. She had no base or reference for it. And and watch it, she did. And I did, too. And she didn't like the, it very The much. woman who feels that we need to quarantine all Asian Americans from <laughs> culture went to seek out Godzilla. Yes. Girl whose grandfather surely was pushing Japanese people into internment camps. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this has been the Movie Blues Podcast. Um, I am Ban Lyons, and um, thank you for listening. Anything you want to say, Dan? Um, I just want to give a shout-out to the Virgin Mary for giving birth to that Jesus baby. Fucking God. <sighs> nice! <laughs> <laughs>